Hello and welcome back to the Book of the Week podcast here on the Literary Salon. This is our chance to tell you about the books that we are most excited about. And this is a book featuring Francis Bacon. And I don't know if you ever have this. Right now, I feel like I'm being haunted by Francis Bacon. He turned up in a memoir that I was reading this week for a thing on Radio 4. He turned up in a novel that I finished the week before that. And then I was in a gallery and I walked right into one of his pictures. So I feel like I'm being haunted by him at the moment. I don't know what that means. He was in a short story that I wrote actually a couple of years back. But anyway, Francis Bacon plays a really important part in the book that I'm going to talk to you about now. The book is called Jackdaw. It is a gripping novel by the author Todi Thompson. Now, you might know Todi. Uh, he's a British Nigerian psychiatrist who moved into writing fiction. Very interesting link there. He is the winner of the Arthur C. Clarke Award, the Normal Award and the Julia Verlaine Award. So we can say that the move has been successful. Jack Daw is very dark, visceral in the bacon sense of the word, psychological novel. The central character is an unreliable narrator who has lost it all, even his own mind, as he embarks on a writing project about Francis Bacon. So it's perfect for this chilling autumn season that we are moving into. The fiction reflects the very macabre essence of Bacon's paintings, that rawness, that bloody embodiedness. Um, the protagonist is trying to write a novella based on Bacon's work, but the spirit of the artist eludes him until he begins to flirt with Bacon's taste for extremes. Never wise, I don't think. Author of the apparition phase, Will McLean says, Thompson's prose, contaminated by Bacon's unflinching view of the human animal, makes for vital, unsettling reading. Oh, strap yourself in. Here's Toddy with more about the book. Hello, I'm Taddy Thompson, and I am delighted to be reading exclusively for listeners of Damien Barr's Literary Salon from my new book, Jackdaw. The protagonist has been negatively affected by proximity to the paintings and the life story of Francis Bacon, whom he's been employed to write a story about. Um, he has spent time with a dominatrix called Destroyer to better understand Francis Bacon's masochistic tendencies. But it seems to have affected his married life as well because his wife, Elise, is no longer talking to him. So we meet him just after a beating. The reading is about the fragmentation of the character's mental state as shown through his thoughts. Um, they're not coherent, they're not pieced together, but they are, there is a strange kind of logic to what goes on and to what he thinks about. So let's dive in. Elise wasn't taking my calls. Not that I blamed her, but on the bright side, she hadn't mentioned the D word and I was in the mood to count my blessings. The day after a beating is the most painful. Your endorphins abandon you, and, like I mentioned before, the cute little nervelets that are growing back rupture easily. Now here I went on a long digression about the nature of pain, its neurophysiology, and psychology. The editor made me cut it as irrelevant. Editors are hell beasts 
who suck the life out of art and spit out bland, inoffensive pap because they are convinced that's what readers want. Anyway, I was in pain. I couldn't climb up to the attic to check on the sculpture. I tried to phone my wife a number of times. Failure. I found a loose filling. My piss was suspiciously dark, but no more blood, so there was that. Destroyer called. I stared at the ringing phone for some seconds and decided to ignore it. This was a breach of our contract. I had agreed to always pick up the phone no matter what the circumstances. Well, circumstances. I drank water to flush out my kidneys and bladder. The pain was such that I couldn't even respond to Henrietta when I closed my eyes. Cured at last? I had one black eye on the left. I lay down on the sofa and played the audiobook for Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Not because of the content, which I loved with a burning hot passion. No, I listened to this particular audiobook obsessively because of the narrator. Ron McClarty's voice is soothing to me. I almost had an accident driving to Birmingham from Thamesmead because I put one of the discs on and dozed off just for a second, but I swerved and I had a moment of, this is how you die, Thompson. But I corrected and parked immediately. I sank into Hunter S. Thompson's gonzo stream of consciousness reportage. Here too was a guy on an assignment and nobody edited his irrelevant digressions. Barbara Streisand paintings, bats, apes being attracted to water and biting the faces off folks, lizard people, gigantic Samoans, and Margaret fucking Mead. Mead is well known for coming of age in Samoa, which purports to describe, I don't know, sexual behavior and shit amongst young Samoans. I lived in Samoa for two years, and that book is a crock of utter bollocks. There is one basic thing you need to know about Samoa and Samoans. Friendliness, harmony, and pleasing people, particularly visitors, is more important than truth, whatever truth is. It's more important to keep the person you're talking to happy than it is to be factual. You learn that in a week. Also, you learn to carry rocks or a cane around with you if you're not driving because of the roving gangs or feral dogs. Sticks and stones, baby. You throw rocks, they leave you alone. I don't know if HST intended the juxtaposition of Mead and his Samoan attorney, Dr. Gonzo, but it might be one of those accidents that Bacon talked about in the creation of his paintings. Oscar Zeta Acosta, the guy HST based Dr. Gonzo on, was definitely not Samoan and disappeared in Mexico in 1974, presumed dead. He was a Chicano activist, but also not averse to drug use, so who knows if he was murdered. Demon editor removed a long digression on the Chicano movement, blaming your attention span and the fact that I was showing off. I'm not bitter at all. McLeodie lured me into a deep sleep, not unaided by opiates. I woke up four hours later, refreshed, still in agony, and with a dead phone. I plugged it in and boiled water for spaghetti. Outside the kitchen window, a cat lingered. I called him Bob, and he had a collar, so he belonged to someone. But does anybody really own cats? I got one of Trapp's old plastic bowls and tipped in tuna from a can. I went outside, groaned like an old man, and gave the offering to Bob. I had no idea if Bob was a male or female, and I don't know if you can sex cats from a distance. I do know that they're supposed to like fish. Bob ate the tuna, which the container announced had been sourced humanely. Another way of saying no dolphins were harmed in the fishing process, which is apparently a thing. Elise is a tuna person. I can't stand it myself. The flesh seems waterlogged and the texture is off. We did have a cat once when I was a kid, a kitten. 
Again, I didn't know the sex. The kitten got itself entangled in some twine and strangulated. It wasn't the first dead animal I ever saw, but it was the first that I had an emotional connection with. There was a blackout the night we found it. The phone beeped a number of times, messages coming in. I pieced together this from the destroyer over several texts. Hi, how are you feeling? I'm really sorry, Taddy. I don't think I've been fair to you or treated you with kindness. I like you and I think you're a decent person, but I would be lying to you if I said you were all right. You have problems. I mean, we all have problems, but yours are new and raw. I don't believe you anymore. I don't believe you're researching a novel. I don't believe your time with me is participant observation, like you like to put it. This is a spiral and it won't end well. Seek treatment. I am fond of you, you know. And when you're better, after your treatment, you have my number. But I can't enable what seems to be self-harm. You're a shrink. You should know this. Please message me back and tell me if you're okay. Where did art end and self-harm begin? When my sex worker asks me to get help? The destroyer was turning into a cliche. A heart of gold moment. Whoever writes real life needs new ideas. I was touched though. My instinct was to pick up the phone and ask her if she loved me. You have to understand that those of us brought up without maternal love sometimes have difficulties with affection signals. Any nurturing goes into that black hole where mother's love was meant to be. It is never enough. The yearning for some kind of appreciation means what is normal human compassion takes on romantic proportions. Rejection is monumental. Our defense mechanism, Kung Fu, is transcendent and I am a master. I would reject anybody before they inevitably rejected me. Smooth. I didn't message Destroyer back. I edited her name to Don't Pick Up and discontinued the standing order that paid her. It felt like a breakup. Why did it feel like a breakup? I wanted to write. I had notebooks downstairs and I emailed an old accountability buddy of mine in Wisconsin. I asked if he wanted to word bank with me, like the old days when we were both beginners. He had remained a dabbler, but he was diligent, which is what I needed. I also needed eyes that were not mine, glancing over what I was writing to ensure that it was new stuff, not a Xerox of an earlier novel. I wrote for an hour, transcribed and emailed it without revision to Wisconsin guy. I felt depleted. Lightfoot hadn't come back and Henrietta had become ineffective. In agony, I climbed up to the attic, sure that I would lose my footing, fall and break my fucking neck any minute. The sculpture was rising and falling, like it was breathing. I should have brought a broom to prod it with. Was it still feeding on my flesh? I screamed at it, briefly at first and then a prolonged shriek. I don't know what I was expecting, but it didn't respond. I took a deep breath, then screamed again and again until I started seeing purple spots. I sat down, surrounded by this musky miasma coming from it. The good news was it had no teeth or any means of harming me that I could see. I had to get rid of the sculpture, but no way was I going to touch it. The slime that covered it, the sweat that dripped from it, the wave-like motion all triggered my gag reflex. I thought of hiring someone, but they might call the RSPCA or the police. Not good. The police were blunt instruments at the best of times. If they saw something they didn't understand, they would arrest first, make sense of it later. I've been to the cells before and it was unpleasant even as a visitor. I couldn't do anything while I was in pain, so I descended again, physically from the attic and metaphorically into pharmaceuticals. All the screaming tired me out, so I took a nap. I woke up with more pain, so I took some codeine and sloshed rum in my mouth and went back to sleep. Kids, don't mix opiates and alcohol. Don't try this at home. I am a professional degenerate, so I can get away with this.
At this point, the tone of the story is decidedly chaotic and I think it's brilliant that that reflects the madness that the author is descending into. But will it consume him or will he emerge unscathed? You'll have to read the book to find out. That was Todd A. Thompson reading from his new book, Jackdaw, which is published by independent press Cheerio. And Cheerio is a press that is set up partly by the Francis Bacon estate. So there you go. And they've got loads of really good stuff actually. Max Porter did a book for them too. Anyway, I won't go on about Cheerio because I love them. The book is available now in all good bookshops, so rush out and grab a copy from your nearest and dearest indie or check out your local library. Do share this episode with anybody you know who, like me, is currently being haunted by Francis Bacon or who just loves books about painters and writers. Thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you again soon.